things to talk about tonight. This yes, is going to be a, a crazy episode. I'm so, so excited. I am too. We have been talking about all of our new patrons, mm-hmm. but we're going to in March. And oh my gosh, I got so many answers on Patreon. Really? From people who were like, yes, we absolutely want to do the Women's History Month Secret Santa. Ah! So there's so many people who are in. So if you want to get in on that, you've got to be in by like mid-February, mm-hmm. mid to mm-hmm. end February. So we can get your name and your address. And then everybody is going to like be assigned a person and we're all going to send each other a present in March. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I've never done one of those things. Oh, it's so, so cool. And we're going to like randomize the names and mm-hmm. then producer is going to like send out the addresses for me. So I don't know who has <gasps> me and you. Oh, so fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. I, yeah, I've just, I've like secretly always wanted to do them, but then I've always been like, ah, oh, it's too much effort. Like, yeah. <laughs> and we're not going to do more than one thing. It's one yeah. present. One present. <laughs> um, it's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. So if you want to be part of Women's History Month Secret Santa or... Yeah, Secret Santa, Se- Secret Miss Claus. Secret Sandra Day O'Connor. <laughs> That's what we should call it, Secret Sandra Day O'Connor That's gifts. It. That's it. Secret Sandra Day O'Connor <laughs> gifts. Then you can join us on our Patreon where we also put ridiculous things. Yeah, we always do a little chat, a little chat and chew at the end. Yeah. Um, so if you want to take part in that, we just get a little personal. I've um, been posting lots of silly. pictures of you and I. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. but oh, I love it. <laughs> Two other really funny things. So first, from last week's episode, Miss Krista sent us what a harp looks like and how a person could hide in it. So, Ooh. Which means she listened today or yesterday because oh they God. get early episodes. Oh, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, correction corner from one of my very dearest friends, Jesse, when we were doing the uh, episode on Katniss, uh-huh. we said Woody Allen instead of Woody Harrelson. <laughs> She goes, Al, come on. <laughs> you guys have a correction corner to do. So thank you, Jesse, for that one. Thank oh you for God. listening to my podcast. Can you even imagine Woody Allen in that role? That would be a fucking nightmare. No, it would be hysterical <laughs> and I would love it. Okay. Um, so are you ready to get started? I'm so ready. These cocktails look amazing. And we have two, two really cool women to talk about. Yeah. But before we get into it, you guys are busy. <laughs> We didn't even say the name of our show, Katie. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Well, you're busy listening to Hershey. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Mm -hmm. But just keep in mind, if you're a new listener or an old listener, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians, hence the correction corner. Exactly. (laughs) A historian would know the difference between Woody Allen and Woody Harrison. Absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be a long night, Katie. It's going to be a fun one. We have <laughs> beer, cocktails, and wine in front of us right now. It's a big, big night with big, big families and big, big <laughs> stories. But as Katie was saying, you're busy. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're busy doing. You're busy learning to fishtail braid your hair. Oh like that inside gosh. out braid. I feel like everybody should be able to do that. I have always wanted to French braid my hair, but I, I just... My fingers don't have the dexterity. So I started trying to learn on my kids via mm. YouTube, oh. uh, but I'm not good at it. Uh, it's terrible. It's definitely like a gift like that just some people have. I agree. Same with making mm. friendship bracelets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're busy doing that. So you don't have time to Google these people to look them up. So we're going to tell you what they look like so you can get a painted picture mm-hmm. in your mind. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical, 
Allie, who are you doing? What does she look like? I am doing Julia the Elder. There are a lot of busts and statues and coins of Julia the Elder, by which I mean to say she looks Grecian. Mm -hmm. So she's got that curly crimp hair at the top with like a little headband thing and then the rest of her hair is like pulled back um honestly her statues look a lot like her dad her dad caesar augustus mm-hmm. um but like a younger female version of him okay. which is weird it's like okay. they just used the template <laughs> and younged it down yeah she's got a narrow chin and her eyes are spaced a little far apart really cute cheeks and relatively thin lips and her nose it's hard to say because it's broken off of all the statues oh, no. and um you know she just looks like a grecian set prop in a movie okay like the the statue looks like if you were walking into an old library in an old movie it would be on a shelf okay got it that's it (laughs) what does your person look like okay i am doing rosemary kennedy um so her most recognizable feature was of course her signature kennedy smile It absolutely lit up her entire face, pushing her round cheeks up and out and causing her dark eyes to scrunch up a little bit and slope downwards. She was 5'8", with dark brown hair, often kept to a short curled bob. She loved her curls. She had perfect smooth skin and she was always dressed exceptionally well. And in the most famous photo of her, she is quite literally dressed for the queen in a white and silver beaded dress with her hair curled, wearing a white feathered headpiece she was beautiful i mean the kennedys are good looking people they really are like if you look up like pictures of her like i mean you're just blown away like she's so beautiful um so yeah that's what she looked like (laughs) that's incredible (laughs) i love it i'm excited these are going to be very meaty stories because these are two very verbose families yes they are with i feel like a lot of tragedy involved too (laughs) tragedy drama yes yes lots of stuff going on rough it's gonna be a rough night but that's okay we have enough drinks yes then we'll get through it (laughs) (laughs) okay so do you want to know what you're drinking i do so this drink is called wisdom palace Ooh. And it is so I to mix it, I just used a couple airplane bottles of vodka. <laughs> I used one airplane bottle of plain vodka and then one airplane bottle of lemon vodka. Mm-hmm. And this is to make two drinks, guys. So I'm not yeah, like yeah. a total crazy person. And then I used an ounce of triple sack, um, three fourths of an ounce of lemon juice, and then egg whites with a dry shake, so no ice. And then I laid a piece of basil floating on top of the glass. It looks best in a coupe glass because mm-hmm. you can see the basil just floating there cheers mm. so smooth very smooth mm. i also i i like that you did the whole thing at room temperature mm-hmm. like the whole thing is shaken without ice no ice the vodka wasn't even chilled yeah mm. it, i i there's something really special about like a room temperature cocktail because they're normally so cold. Um, so yeah, this is fantastic. I love it. And the reason I chose it is because there is on the island of Capri um, a hotel that serves a famous Caesar Augustus cocktail and Ooh. it has similar ingredients, mm-hmm. but I, there's no egg white and there's no triple sec. And I just like they use sprig of thyme instead of basil. So I switched Ooh. it because she's his daughter. I love that. Okay, so tell me, what do you know about Julia the Elder? I know that she was Caesar's daughter, and that's it. I don't know anything about her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just don't know. So I'm excited to learn. 
This is going to be big because I have to tie it into other things. And of course, this is, oh, here you go. You like pens. You can have it. (laughs) I'll take the marker. I think Um, there's some pens like down there. Oh, I'm sure on the floor somewhere. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I don't need one now. Um, So this is a request from one of our patrons, Emily Hill. We always bump those up to the top, even though we have like 30 hundred requests right now which oh, is a blessing so great not a complaint no, keep no, no, them no. coming <laughs> it makes it so much better when we don't have to work hard yes <laughs> um so i need to give some background information because like we said these are big big stories but fortunately we have a background episode that could help you out that i even went back and listened to because i was like really i want to know what i said <laughs> about this stuff last time mm-hmm. so Episode 45 was about Cleopatra and Anastasia. That was one of my favorite episodes. Yes. It is great. I got so drunk. I passed out. <laughs> it, was a, it was a night. It was a real night. <laughs> we, I feel like we had to stop. That was one of the reasons we had to stop drinking wine. Yeah. Like bonus wine uh-huh. was because we were getting too drunk it was really bad but it was a great (laughs) night the memories the memories are (sighs) are not there (laughs) I have to listen to them okay so I'm gonna give a brief backdrop of the end of that story because obviously Julia is not the same age as Cleopatra but Mm -hmm. her family members come at the end of the story so basically Cleopatra is the pharaoh of Egypt and she had a son with Julius Caesar that they named Caesarion which means little Caesar (laughs) I know you last time we did it too it's so funny (laughs) the crazy bread is just so good it really is square bread they don't cut corners so (laughs) why okay two months after removing the republic Julius Caesar declared himself emperor he does all that he gets stabbed in the back hey too brute Mm. Cleopatra falls in love with Mark Antony after Mm -hmm. Caesar dies. Mark Antony leaves his wife, marries Cleopatra. They have three children. But Mark Antony's ex-wife was Octavian's sister, like his boy. Oh, my gosh. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Then um, Julius had selected Octavian to take over the throne. But Mark Antony wanted the throne. So that's why he divorced his sister, married Cleopatra, killed Caesar. Uh, So... Hence, civil war. Mm -hmm. Both Antony and Cleopatra um, took their own lives at Octavian's hand, and he becomes ruler. And at some time around now, that's when Octavian starts going by Caesar Augustus. So this is Julia's father. Got it, got it. So to keep this in our mind, he says two Caesars is one too many Caesars. So he has Cleopatra and Julius Caesar's son, killed the oldest son but they're already dead all of them are dead it's just him he has just kind of finishing off the last line right and then the three kids that mark antony had with cleopatra his sister adopts and raises okay did they like grow up knowing or were they yeah they knew our family secret Mm -hmm. okay they all grew up knowing but that's where we leave off because octavian is now augustus he didn't go by that until julia was 11 but for ease of the story, we're just going to call him Augustus the whole time. Okie dokie. So the reason I gave you that backdrop is I wanted you to understand that Julia is born into this crazy civil war within the Roman Empire. And her dad 
uh, is the new emperor and her uncle was murdered as the previous one (laughs) or her like great uncle or whatever. She's got a really, really crazy family line. Mm. So Julia is the only biological child of Caesar Augustus. She is known as Julia the Elder, which distinguishes her from her daughter, who eventually is Julia the Younger. Hmm. So Julia was born in 39. This is where the real story starts, guys. That was all backdrop. Now, that was confusing. (laughs) If, it's like if you've never watched an episode of The Young and the Restless and then all of a sudden somebody has to give you the entire background in two minutes. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> that was that. Oh, to be a writer on a soap opera. That would be such a fun job. I'm sure every writer on a soap a opera joy is like, and a pleasure. horrible. No, like, a joy and a pleasure. so fun. <laughs> like, He's your twin. <laughs> <laughs> twin uncles. How about that? Perfect. One's evil. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Julia was born in 39 BC in Italy. Julia's mother was, and I'm going to pronounce all this wrong, Scribonia. But Augustus divorces her mom the day that Julia is born, saying (laughs) that he's unable to put up with her shrewish disposition. Damn. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Big, big talk. Yeah. (laughs) In accordance with Roman customs, he claimed complete parental control over Julia. So as soon as she's done weaning from breastfeeding, she's sent to live with her stepmother, Livia, where she was raised in luxury. Ooh. Because um, because of this, you know, her father's going to use her as a pawn. So when she's two years old, the whole Civil War thing's going on. And Augustus and his buddies decide, oh, well, why don't we betroth her to Mark Antony's son? She's two. He's ten. When they get older, they'll rule the kingdom together. It's me. It's my buddy. It'll be great. Obviously, that never happens because he kills his uncle and tries to fight him in a war after mm-hmm. running off with an Egyptian hussy. So, or what they think is an Egyptian hussy. In our episode, we prove that she is not. She's a serial monogamist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Augustus wanted his daughter, Julia, to learn how to be an arista cat. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a cat. An aristocrat. I'm already drunk. Her childhood education was strict and somewhat old fashioned. In addition to her studies, she was taught spinning and weaving, but she found this deep love for literature, which historians say would have been easy to come by in this wealthy family. She developed a sharp mind and a quick tongue Mm. and was not very comfortable with her strict environment. She was comfortable with her money, but was not very happy with all the restraints put on her. Her social life was severely controlled. Again, she is Caesar Augustus's only bio kid. And um, she wasn't allowed. She wasn't allowed to talk to anybody that her father had not vetted. He vets everybody who's going to see her. He made sure everything she did was monitored no matter what. And he was like, nothing she says or does, do I want her to be ashamed of in the future? So we're going to make sure that nothing ever happens to her. So pretty much she's not learning from any of her mistakes. Um, He has a great affection for his daughter, though, and made sure she had the best teachers available because he's giving all of his time and money to her. Okay. Because he doesn't have other kids. Mm -hmm. 
Augustus was recorded as saying, there are two wayward daughters that I have to put up with, the Roman Commonwealth and Julia. (laughs) (laughs) So as with most Roman women, Julia was expected to focus on marriage with the result being family alliances. She was expected to be a pawn for her father as the sole child her dad really wanted some male heirs and was not getting around to it so he wanted her to marry well and have some boys Agrippa was her dad's general and he really wanted to be next in line for the throne but Augustus was like dude you're my age and we are all dying young around here so I'm gonna pick somebody else so when Julia was 14 she married the son of her father's sister He's like a first cousin. He's two or three years older than her. So she is 14 and he's like 16, which is odd for the time. Usually you married somebody way older than you. Um, But Augustus was off fighting a war when she got married. So Agrippa had to preside over the ceremony. Okay. Agrippa was actually kind of pissed about this because he's trying to Jafar the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, dude, here I understand. I was going to marry your daughter. Yeah. Like, duh. (laughs) Isn't that so sick when you realize that, like, Jafar is going to, like, marry Jasmine? You're like, ew, get the fuck out of here. Oh, A story my based in actual truth. <laughs> Old men love marrying young women in the past. Especially their best friend's kid. <laughs> um, so that is what's going to happen. Um, so <laughs> Historical sexism. <laughs> the basis of this whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, and That's present really day what sexism. It been called. The ghost of sexism past. <laughs> the ghost of sexism present. The, the Christmas sexism. <laughs> okay. So after two years of being married to this guy who's about her age, he dies. Oh, no. Unexpectedly. It's very sad. And there were no children in this marriage. So her dad's like, well, we have to get you married again. So just like, let's just marry Jafar this time. (laughs) So at 18 years old. Jafar totally killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Totally poisoned his drink. At 18 years old, Julia was made to marry Agrippa. He was born in a modest family and raised to be one of Augustus's most trusted generals over time. So the report to Augustus was, you have made him so great that he must either become your son-in-law or be slain. <laughs> so it's like, let him marry your daughter or kill him because he's going to kill you. What's the thing? Keep your enemies close and clo- your closer, close closer. Farther away, son-in-laws. <laughs> That's it. Something, something, marriage. <laughs> something, something, dark side. <laughs> oh man, Agrippa was nearly twenty-five years her elder. Um, so Julia is just like whatever. I'm part of my dad's dynastic plans. Fine. So with him being much older than her, this is a much more normal Roman relationship. Mm-hmm. But because Agrippa is still like the most active, trusted general, he's traveling all the time. He's never home. So during this time traveling, there are many reports of infidelity from Julia mm. with most um, most guys in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she's a revolving door type of lady. There we go. I love it. You know what? Get it. You had to marry a guy so much older than you. You have to marry like 10 people you don't like in yeah. this story. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm all for her rocking the Casbah. Do it. And also, <laughs> she was raised around men who do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like all the time watching her dad and like all these dudes like having sex with whoever. That's exactly correct. It's like. I feel like she is just a trailblazing for feminism. <laughs> she <laughs> She's is. like, She's I'm like- going to be feminist by like doing exactly what all the male leaders in my life do. That's perfect. It was great. Um, she specifically has a lot of sex with this one guy named Sempronius Gracchus, but we'll come back to him later. He's just like, one that they described as a persistent paramour. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this is her first series of alleged adultery. Julia's marital status did not prevent her from relationships ever. And although there is this one guy that she was really into, she does become known as kind of like the village whore, which is pretty horrible. But, you know, she... Also is rumored to have this lust for her stepbrother, Tiberus, hmm. which is might just be a rumor, but apparently she's really into him and he's not having it. Okay. Even though she's getting like all the men she wants. Okay. She wasn't always at home, though. She did travel to see her husband often. Their home was in a villa in Rome, but Agrippa for a long time was a governor in Gaul across the Alps, so she spent a lot of time there, too. She was pretty well-traveled. She goes to visit him in Gaul and gets pregnant pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and it's a boy. And Augustus is, like, throwing blue confetti around the Roman Empire, like, it's a boy. We've got an heir. Release the blue doves. We're in you, it. We you are, are in welcome. It it. You are welcome, <laughs> Italy. So it's great. And um, then she's there for a little while longer, and there's another baby. Ah. And after they get home back to Italy, they have another baby. They have a total of five children together. Wow. Three boys and two girls. And Augustus decides, you know what? You know, it'd be even better than grandchildren. I'm going to adopt your two oldest sons. So I know you're their mom, but now you're actually their sister. Thanks. (laughs) They outrank you. (laughs) What? I'm going to let you finish having children, but I'm going to take these two. I just, these two, just in case. (laughs) Just in case case I need somebody that's a son. (laughs) Okay. wild Augustus you're being wild he takes care of all the expenses though their education all this stuff but he doesn't take care of the expenses for the other three kids oh my god (laughs) it's just the two boys that he's adopted that's so ridiculous and one of her other kids is a boy (laughs) (laughs) it's not just the two girls it's I don't know it's crazy Oh, those poor kids. I know. This was an arranged marriage, but there is evidence of love from both sides. Despite Julia's infidelity, um, (laughs) they just like there are moments when you can tell that these two love each other, even though like at one point Julia was teased about the fact that all of her children actually looked like Agrippa. She (laughs) apparently shot back and said... I take on a passenger only when the ship hold is full. (laughs) Damn, Julia. (laughs) Only banging when you've got a bun in the oven. My girl, she knew how to take care of business. (laughs) Playing the game. Like, because that's the thing. You know what? That's how you keep your head in those days. Like, literally. It's the best form of birth control. (laughs) (laughs) 
sex while you're already pregnant. <laughs> you can't get re-pregnant um, unless you have two uteri. Ooh, I will tell you, every time I get my period, I do just give a little... <laughs> yes, Lord, uh, thank it's you. Fantastic. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> every time I get it, I'm like, shit. <laughs> it's so funny, too, because I'm actually in a little bit of a panic right now because I had my birth control delivered by mail, and it came late last night, and then it, like, sat in my cold-ass mailbox. I'm like, is it still effective? It is. Okay, good. <laughs> I think cold is fine. <laughs> a, please, a doctor, let me know. I think it's okay, but it says it shouldn't be stored at, like, below 65 Dr. Degrees. Misty. Dr. Misty. <laughs> You're a physicist. Let us know. <laughs> Any nurses out there? I'm sure we have nurses that listen. Please Lots of women know. are nurses. I'm, I'm always, like, worried about stuff like that. Oh, somebody's like, going to write back and be like, it's not effective. Everything's fine. Abort. Oh, abort please. mission. Abort mission. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey. So (laughs) at one point during Agrippa and Julia's marriage, she's traveling to meet him at his outpost and she's caught in like a flash flood in this town (gasps) and almost drowns. And Agrippa is furious. He just loved her so much. He's furious and he finds the locals a hundred thousand drachma. And the fine is so huge that it's going to knock them off the face of the earth. Like they can't pay this money, but he's so close to Caesar Augustus that everybody's too scared to like talk to him about it, except for his good friend, King Herod of Judea, who no. we know from such from the Bible. places as the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> King Herod goes and he's like, boy, drop this fine. Not really that big of a deal. Okay, so he's the good guy in this, in this story. story. Also, <laughs> I am really happy you said that because sometimes it's hard for me to put things in like a linear time context. And that helps me because I only learned Bible history when I was a child. Well, guess what? It helped the whole world and we'll get there at the end of <gasps> oh, this story. Okay. Linear timeline. <laughs> okay. So um, when he... When Herod finally comes to him, he withdraws the fine and they start a tour through the eastern provinces to gain favor for Augustus and all the children he adopted. But um, then they have another baby, their fourth baby. I know I said they had five, but I was going chronologically. Okay. Um, They have their fourth baby. When they get back from their long journey, Julia gets pregnant again for a fifth time. But during this pregnancy, her husband suddenly dies at age 51 and she's still pregnant. (sighs) So she has to have this baby like after he dies. Now, Julia has a new baby. She's mourning the death of her husband, which she did love. See, and I like that because I do think that this is a good positive story for like people in like polyamorous relationships because like it can happen. Like you can love your spouse and also like take other sexual partners. You know what I'm saying? And she's obviously having sex with her husband as well because they're having lots of babies. Right. And I also, I kind of like that she was like, okay, you know what? Like the babies are for him. And like, that's the thing. But like, I can also enjoy sex with other people. Like, I think that's really sex positive. And I think he's also having sex while he's off on these yeah. journeys. Oh, you sure know what I mean? Is. I didn't like research Agrippa, but I'm sure that's a thing. I'm sure he had mistresses. All men oh back gosh. then did. All men. <laughs> yes, all men. Yes, all men. <laughs> <laughs> had mistresses back then. And now. <laughs> Just kidding. But m- most men. <laughs> most men. <laughs> <laughs> Who happen to play professional football. <laughs> Looking at you, Tom Brady. 
and Peyton Manning, <laughs> you whore. It's like, he's probably like, I the, know. There's two players. Like, <laughs> he's the nicest person in existence. Peyton Manning, your very own action toy. Mary's in the studio. Get <laughs> out of here. Down the stairs. Mary, get out of here. So. Julia has this new baby. She's mourning the death of her husband, but the empire can't rest. So Augustus's wife, Livia, is like, hey, you know who would be great to marry your daughter? My son. And didn't she like have the hots for him way back when? This would be great because then there's like no craziness. And um, it's not outside the family and it best serves your interests. Um, And... Here's the problem. <laughs> Both she and Tiberius had grown up. Uh, she had had a baby and lost her husband. She didn't like Tiberius. And uh, Tiberius was married to the woman of his dreams. <gasps> no. He love, love, loved her head over heels. And he was forced to divorce her and marry Julia, which is horrible and we've talked a lot about marriage being slavery for women on this podcast but royal men had to deal with this too that's horrible it is so sad he had a low opinion of her they had grown up near each other they didn't really like each other and she at this point disdained him and it's just an unequal match she even wrote a letter to her dad denouncing him she's like please like i did all the marriages you wanted me to do like please don't make me marry this guy so the marriage is just trouble from the start They're married for five years. Of course, Julia gets pregnant because she has to. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a baby boy. But the baby dies in infancy. And after that, Tiberius or Tiberius or Tiberius. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> One of the two. He, although he's a really important person in history. So yeah. somebody <laughs> correct me. He voluntarily exiles himself. He's like, I was here I had the baby, man. I did what you told me to do. Yeah. But the baby died and I can't do this again. I'm not going to have sex with her again. I miss my wife. I miss my life, my family. And he exiles himself and just leaves. Leaves, which sucks. Augustus is really struggling. His daughter is now not married for the third time. Mm. um, And they're consistently dying. And his two sons are not old enough to take the throne if he dies. So he's like, what the hell do I do? So as Julia's biological father, he was married to her mother at the time. So he still has like full legal custody of her, even though she's an adult. Right. Unless you give that custody to one of her husbands, which she had never done. Mm -hmm. So Julia is just like, a stain on him he's like she's my daughter but she's living this really promiscuous life because she's like i'm untouchable fuck you guys i don't have to rule i don't have to do anything i just have to show up and have sex with whoever you tell me to and i'll do it so her adulteries like we said are becoming really well known around the area it is dinner time conversation they're like hey (laughs) did you hear who Julia, the emperor's daughter, is sleeping with tonight? And they're like, yeah, LOL. Careful, the gyros are hot. Yeah. Like, it is a big thing. So she ends up pushing it a little too far. She begins having an affair with one of Mark Antony's sons. Oh, no. That's still alive. And to remind everyone, Mark Antony 
killed Augustus's uncle, divorced Augustus's sister, and ran off to marry Cleopatra, leaving him as the heir to rule by himself and fight a civil war in Rome. So he's not feeling very good about his daughter sleeping with this guy's son. After Mark Antony did all that and was killed or killed himself or was made to kill himself, mm-hmm. uh, Augustus had all of his men go through ledgers and remove his name from everything in Rome. He had everybody go around Rome and scratch Mark Antony's name off of statues. Oh and he forbade anyone in Rome from naming their child Mark or Marcus <laughs> again. And she's sleeping with his son. Wow. <laughs> Which is not only personally insulting, but politically dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not okay. Oh my gosh. Because there are a group of people who think that Mark Antony and Cleopatra right. should have ruled the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, or the empire. <laughs> um So many suggest that some of her alleged affairs were men seducing her to get rid of Tiberius and replace him and then like start over a new line. There are some letters back and forth that kind of suggest this, but I really think she just liked having sex. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also don't want to take that political power away from her because she may have been planning a coup against her dad. Right. It's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So historians just don't really know. But Augustus really did love his daughter. Um, But he had kept marrying her to all these suitors, so he wasn't really paying attention. So all of a sudden, he catches wind of her sex life, and he's like, oh, fine. You know, it's fine. That's my girl. And then it's like, well, that's a little too much. And then all of a sudden, it's like, she fucked who? Yeah. Like, he's really, really angry. So in 2 BC, Julia is arrested for adultery and the kicker, treason. Augustus sent a letter um, making her and Tiberius's marriage null and void mm. so that he can still be the heir and take over the throne. Mm-hmm. Augustus called her a disease of my flesh. Oh, my God. He also says publicly that she must have been plotting for his life because this is a big embarrassment. At the time, Augustus had been passing legislation to promote family values. <laughs> <laughs> and she is not doing very well with values um depending on what your values are augustus goes ahead and exiles a number of her lovers she he also forces mark antony's son to take his own life just like he did with his father augustus does threaten to kill his daughter which is the punishment for treason but he can't bring himself to do it Mm. he loves her so he banishes her to an island off the coast The island measures less than 0.68 square miles uh, with no man in sight. And she is forbidden to drink wine, which is why (gasps) I brought us a toast of wine for Julia. I brought us an extra wine glass. Julia, I'm so sorry, my party girl. I can't even imagine that pain. Like you can't have sex and you're not even allowed to drink. And there's no TV mm-hmm. yet. Mm-mm. Nope. No. And, and the printing press is not there. So books aren't even really that readily available. Oh my gosh. She's like, can I get a tablet once in a while? <laughs> Seriously, but not the, not the Microsoft kind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot. We're talking to 
gen newers i don't know what they're called hieroglyphics <laughs> <laughs> who knows um so she was allowed no visitors unless her father had given permission and had fully examined their rank their status and even the marks on their body like they're a rental car he like ch- he didn't want any like you know nails in the back like they just had sex but something i thought was really cute her bio mom, who had been divorced from Augustus since the day of her birth, voluntarily exiled herself with Julia. Oh, that's so nice. Went to live on the island with her in exclusion. Oh. That's really beautiful. So in 6 AD, Julia's youngest son was also exiled for growing unrest. And then in 8 AD, her eldest daughter is exiled, charged with adultery, but also could have been because of a, an attempted result revolt by her husband like these people are crazy Mm. but about the woman in his life augustus said if only i had never married or had died childless (laughs) which is like a misquote from the iliad but he's like trying to quote yeah homer which is cute Five years after Julia had been exiled on her island, she moved back to the mainland, but kind of to a city far away. And Augustus appears to have given her some property and a yearly income that allowed her to walk about town. But he never forgave her or allowed her to come back to Rome Mm. ever. This choice was unpopular with the Roman people who really liked her and petitioned for her to get out of exile on several occasions. And she actually cast a huge shadow on Augustus's remaining years because there are a lot of people who were like, we like her. We want her to be in charge or her son or her husband. Augustus died in 14 AD and Tiberius ascended to the throne. Despite showing sympathy towards Julia when she was initially exiled, he instead enforced harsher conditions upon her once Mm. Augustus was dead. He removed her dowry and her yearly allowance, saying that Augustus didn't make any specific provisions for it in the will. He chose to leave her desolate. He also placed her on house arrest. She could not leave her home or receive any visitors. Oh, my God. So because of that, Julia died later that year, shortly after her father. The circumstances of her death are obscure, but most historians believe it was from malnutrition and as a direct result of Tiberius' actions, meaning she died of starvation in a house on an island. Oh my God. Others say she starved to death out of sadness because after Tiberius took the throne, her son, her oldest son, was killed he swears he had nothing to do with it Mm. but it was tyrus's only like threat yeah augustus did forbid her from being buried in his tomb and you know her longtime lover who had been exiled for 14 years in northern africa was also put to death Mm. historians have described her in many ways they say she's tainted by luxury and lust she revels and drinking at parties by night they say that she her adulterers 
were admitted in droves. Her father had proposed a law against adultery, and yet now she had chosen the place for her debaucheries. These are all just random quotes right. from Tess. <laughs> and she would lay aside the role of adulteress. She there sold her favors and sought the right to every indulgence with even an unknown paramour. People are just talking about her having sex and drinking. That's the thing. It kind of sounds like she deserved to starve mm-hmm. to death because she was a bad woman. Right. Even like, meanwhile, like all the men are doing all those things that they're saying. She like is, is partying and drinking right. and having sex. Yeah. yeah. That's all she's doing. Um, so today's historians present day, they think that these descriptions from several years ago are exaggerations they're like these are wild exaggerations of who julia was today we talk about her wit her personality that she was sassy in her retorts they also celebrate her being studious and the fact that the people loved her she was empathetic towards the roman public and amiable to them they really liked her but there's two important facts i want to talk about before we close out her story one is the ad timeline got clarified because of her Really? So Jesus, obviously, the start of AD in the year of our Lord, Dionysus implied when he created this timeline, he implied, he didn't explicitly say it, but that Jesus was born December 25th, 1 BC. But in 1605, a Polish historian was like, wait, that timeline doesn't work because a look at when Julia the the elder was exiled as compared to when King Herod died. That doesn't make sense. So using dates from her life, we were able to place Jesus's birth at some time before or between six and four BC. That's so cool. I know. So I just think it's cool that the most influential man in all of modern history and maybe all of the history of the world. Right had to be date-checked by a woman who was a disobedient adulteress. <laughs> and I think he would have liked that. I think he would have, I think Jesus would have been like, <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. So that's a really cool oh thing. Oh, my gosh. That's so neat. And then the reason that I named the Cocktail Wisdom Palace is because her exile was on an island, yeah. and she was living in a villa. It was yeah. beautiful. And it was even originally built as a summer home. And you can visit it now. It's a museum. Oh, that's so cool. But the palace was a death place for women with a brain. Other than her, two other female members of Julia's family were exiled to the island and starved to death. Also, Nero, his wife, was exiled there and then put to death on the island. So they used this island to control wealthy educated women who would not stay in the confines of their social role oh my god so just because they gave these women an education they started to act out and they put them on this island and waited for them to die jesus christ so wisdom palace i love that because it also kind of reminds me of when leslie nope said i'm gonna go to use the whiz palace <laughs> Okay. Making the connection. You are. Everything comes back to <laughs> this podcast. This podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's the story of Julia. Wow. That's all I got. That's amazing. I love when we can really put these stories together because I'm sure like like historians are piecing them together from like 
runes and papyrus and yeah. like all these things that like are hard to put together but like there is a story there and uh, I love that she's like this OG disobedient fucking woman I mean I read the Wikipedia and I was like I don't understand any of this <laughs> I got like I got so worried and uncomfortable because I was like I don't I like I loved the request and I was just like so worried because everybody's yeah. name I was like that person has a story that person has a story that person has a story oh how do you think it's gonna be telling Rosemary Kennedy's story it's gonna be everybody just the same. Like, <laughs> everybody's famous I asked producer I was like do I tell everybody's story at the top and then hers or do I like weave it through yeah I, know. I was like I don't know what to do because everybody in her story is famous yeah yep that's exactly it for Rosemary too Ooh. I can't wait oh Okay, are you ready for another drink? Let's do it. All right, we'll be right back. Brooke, name three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay, now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman. Anthony uh, Roosevelt. Eleanor. Okay. It took you longer to name the women. Okay. <laughs> Harsh, but yes. <laughs> One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum we're talking themes and important women and kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school each week on our website www.remedialhistory.com i post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode and we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and link them for you check it out you can find remedial history anywhere you get your podcasts all right, so we are back with two new cocktails. Are you ready? I mean, I'm ready to learn about another just like absolutely like wild family. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So uh, do you want to know your about to drink? I do. It looks like white <laughs> wine, honestly. It does. So this is called Cape Rosemary. It's kind of based off of a Cape Cod because I was like, oh, Kennedy's, like New Northeast. England. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's two ounces of gin, two ounces of white cranberry juice um half an ounce of vanilla rosemary simple syrup and you top the whole thing off with prosecco ah, cheers love that mm. so good it's really like it's smooth it's surprising like the lack of flavor almost you know what i'm saying like there's no like bite back no there's no like overpowering flavor but i garnish it with a sprig of rosemary so i feel like when you're tasting it like you know you get like the smell of rosemary but then it's just kind of like smooth sailing i don't know it's really i nice. really like it mm. oh so what do you know about rosemary kennedy so okay so i know that i think she's the oldest mm -hmm. in the, oh, the oldest girl the oldest girl yeah mm -hmm. um I, I mean, I know a lot about the family, just pop culture facts yeah. about the family. I think maybe one of them was sick. I don't know if mm -hmm. it was her. One of them, like, had some sort of, like, childhood illness. Um, but other than that, I really don't. Um, 
I think I don't think she's succumbed to the Kennedy curse of death. Yeah. <laughs> which the rest of them have. Yeah. Um, and also my daughter's name is Caroline Elizabeth specifically because I said I wanted her to sound like she could be wealthy, <laughs> which Caroline Elizabeth is another Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I did. I should have named my daughter. Rose. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I mean, the, the Kennedys have, I mean, it's like, the Caesars. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah. And uh, there's a reason we haven't heard of Julia the Elder. And there's a reason we haven't heard of Rosemary Kennedy, unfortunately. Ooh. Okay. Well, fun. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. This is going to be a rough story. Okay. I cried a lot while researching it. Sometimes that's the um, best. The R word will be used because it was an official medical diagnosis back then. We're oh, obviously God. going to be using the preferred term intellectually and like, you know, intellectual disability as much as possible. But we'll be talking about specific laws and, you know, things that were written at the day that use that word. So I also just want to give a clarification to everyone. You know, it's not a word we use anymore, but we will be using it today. Okay. I'm also like kind of happy that you like don't really know what we're about to get into because it's wild. Um, I got most of this from the book Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter by Kate Clifford Larson, um, bio psychosocial podcast, and of course, Wikipedia. Hey, wait, real quick. Yeah. Was it this season of The Crown where they found out that they had relatives with like mental disabilities that were like hidden away? Wait, what? Did you watch this season of The no, Crown? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, my We've God. We've been into Fargo, and so I haven't been able to watch they The Crown. I mean, Margo, I mean, <laughs> Helena Bottom Carter <laughs> finds out that there are Windsors, like first cousins, that are like hidden away in mental institutions. Oh, my God. It is dramatic. Well, yeah, this is going to hit home then. Okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so Rose Marie Kennedy... Her name was Rosemarie, and they just ended up calling her Rosemary Kennedy. Cute. <laughs> was born on September 13th, 1918 in Brookline, Massachusetts, to parents Joseph Kennedy and Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy. That's the that's like right when World War One ended. This is mm-hmm. like a happy birth. Well, the day should have been full of promise and hope and excitement because even though the Kennedy family already had two children, Joseph Jr. and John, a.k.a. Joe and Jack, Rose Marie was going to be their first girl, and she would be named after the matriarch of the Kennedy family to symbolize her importance to this American dynasty. It was going to be a simple home birth, just like the first two. But unfortunately, the day did not go as planned. When Rose went into labor, the doctor was busy helping victims of the goddamn Spanish flu, because of course, this girl was born in the midst of a pandemic which I'm sure none of our listeners can relate to. (laughs) My God. I mean, come the fuck on. Uh, Time kept passing and the doctor had not arrived yet, but baby Rosemary was not waiting. Panicked, the nurse told Rose to just keep her legs closed so the baby wouldn't come out before the doctor arrived. This was obviously painful and not really how a birth works, so the baby started to make her way out. (gasps) The nurse then took matters into her own hands, literally, and pushed the baby back in and held her in the birth canal for two hours. No, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Oh, my God. That's terrible. The doctor eventually arrived, and the baby was allowed to come out, but poor Rosemary had gone 
two hours basically without proper oxygen. And even though she appeared healthy when she was born, she would suffer later in life for this grave mistake. How hard is it to catch a baby? I, okay, so this is exactly my reaction to. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with that she nurse? She wasn't allowed to. I want to make a couple things clear. So I do think that, you know, obviously it's like, my God, why didn't she just catch the fucking baby? But there are some root causes. Number one, so what I learned from like working in patient safety for a little bit is that nurses are historically like not empowered or encouraged to like speak up or take control of a situation. Except for Carla from Scrubs. Exactly. (laughs) They were really just simply told to be like, you're here to help the doctor. And they're like, okay. Um, Even though they've always had enough medical knowledge and expertise to like, take care of patients like it was like no you're the helper and number two which goes along with this kate clifford larson points out in her book that at this time if the doctor was not present at the birth the client did not have to pay the birthing fee of 125 dollars and i think that again people like to vilify this nurse but i'm sure it was drilled into her head that you don't let that baby come out unless the doctor is there. Because if we don't get that $125, if we don't get paid, then it's your fucking fault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that the system failed this nurse and then the nurse, the nurse failed Rosemary Kennedy. Totally fair. I think this is a systemic problem that is existent because again, we live in a patriarchal society where like only men are in charge like well and also it's funny because most recently like a lot of hospitals have caught a lot of flack for having to throw away covid vaccines Mm -hmm. but it's like once we open it we have to give it to a certain number of people but if those people run out i can't just give it to whoever the fuck i want right i'll be thrown in jail i can't just call my sister and be like hey we've got some extras right like that doesn't work you have to follow the rules otherwise you your ass is on the line yeah and again like i think it's a really important thing to bring up because i think everyone just wants to blame the nurse but like i think we need to blame the system that made this nurse feel like she wasn't able to do this thing that she absolutely knew how to do perfect okay love it Either way, though, (laughs) obviously life continued. Rose Kennedy would give birth to six more children. She had nine total. Um, Her next children would be Kathleen, who they called Kick, which I think is so fucking cute. Damn, I want a cute nickname. I know. And then we had Eunice. We had Patricia, who went by Pat. Robert, who went by Bobby. Jean and Edward, who went by Ted. But while Rosemary had all the traditional physical characteristics of a Kennedy, it didn't take long for her parents to notice that there was something different about her. At first, Rose just thought that it was because she was a girl. She never had a girl before. So maybe this was normal that like she was kind of behind, kind of like how my mom thought it was normal that I had an Adam's apple when I was a child. (laughs) And really, I had a cyst in my throat. Um, (laughs) True story. Um, Personal corner. (laughs) But then she's two years old and she still struggled to crawl and sit up. She couldn't hold a spoon. It was becoming more obvious that something was going on while her other siblings hit their milestones with ease. Rosemary was always lagging behind Rose took her to many doctors, but really all they could do is just diagnose her as mentally retarded or the victim of a genetic or uterine accident. But remember 
that while Rose is trying to deal with this situation, she keeps having more kids. <laughs> Rosemary is the third of nine. She was pregnant again almost immediately after Rosemary. So it's kind of also difficult to focus on this child. And Kate Clifford Larson kind of points out too that like Joe Kennedy is off having affairs. So like for her, she was like, oh my God, like I want to do my Catholic duty as a wife, but like also like the women's movement is happening and like women are getting the vote and this is amazing. And like, I want to be doing more things, but I can't cause I'm a good Catholic wife. And like at one point when like she's pregnant with the fourth child, she actually like ran away for a bit. and was like, you fucking deal with the family. Like, the book about Rosemary Kennedy is chock full of really interesting information about the rest of the family. I mean, being the primary parent is absolutely something that I would say the majority of men don't understand mm-hmm. because of the patriarchal system that we exist in. I yeah. would say more men understand it now than understood it then. Yeah. But being a primary parent is very hard. Even if you share responsibilities, yeah. there's always one yeah. that's in charge. Yep. And also, though, at least she did. She get like syphilis and have babies die like Jacqueline. No, 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 no. Okay, Mm-mm. so it's like at least he's not. I don't know what kind Giving of her sex diseases he's, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Hopefully, he's having sex. Like, who knows what's happening? I don't knows? know. It just made me like a little happy that she can at least still conceive and bear children. Yeah. When like some women whose husbands go off and like have sex yeah. with whoever they can't do can't that. Can't do that exactly. But they just kind of kept going as if everything was fine and normal. And even though we will see downsides to this, to their credit, I think there's some good in it. They tried to treat Rosemary just like their other kids. Her sister Eunice remembered that throughout their whole childhood, the constant reminder from their parents was, don't forget Rosemary, include Rosemary. Hey, Rosemary's here. Don't forget to fucking take her with you. Like it was always like, hey, don't forget about your sister. And I mean, I think everyone knows that the Kennedys were an extremely active family. They were really into sports and sailing and stuff and horses, horses and equestrian arianism. And of course, they were also very competitive. So even though Rosemary couldn't exactly compete with her siblings, she was very active her whole childhood. And the important thing was she was around. I think when we hear about the hidden Kennedy daughter, we think that they locked her in an attic for no one to see. And that just wasn't true of her younger years. As many missteps as Rose and Joe made later on, keeping young Rosemary as part of the family was not one of them. But then it came time for Rosemary to go to school. So wait, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. she like nonverbal? No, she can speak. At this point? Okay, well, like, what level of, like, MR, if we're talking, like, if we're still using the words mentally retarded, like, Mm -hmm. what level is she just, like, behind? She's just behind. So everything is just a little delayed, and it becomes more prominent when she goes to school because, like, everyone to everyone else, like, it's like, okay, reading, got it, writing, got it, yes. But Rosemary just couldn't handle those two simple things. And actually, a lot of doctors think that she definitely had some, you know, intellectual uh, disabilities, mm-hmm. but it was completely, like, expounded by or whatever by the fact that she was probably dyslexic okay and so for all my teachers out there mm-hmm. she probably would have been coded ohi for other health impaired and mm-hmm. then ld for learning disabled mm-hmm. okay and that would have been an mr for mentally retarded which we still kind of use but not in right. the same way it you yeah. your um iq has to be a certain level mm-hmm. but she would have had multiple codings 
if if like you were in a school setting yeah because like i hear it a lot where people will be like she's adhd and i'm like she's not one thing yeah exactly (laughs) there's multiple things and i think that was the beauty i was finding in her story is there is so much going on because she is so capable in certain like scenarios and situations and then she is completely incapable in others you know Mm. what i'm saying perfect and i think that like targeting that like she was dyslexic among these other things really like open up a picture of me like oh so like people kept pressuring her to read and write and like it was something that was just extraordinarily difficult for her because like doctors looked at like her letters and stuff and she wrote like left to or like right to left you Mm. know and things like that and things that are common in people with dyslexia and they're like okay so she was dealing with that and she also was behind in other things so like it must have been just so like school was so hard for her right and it was something that was so important to her family and I mean it's so hard because when you live in that Ivy League type of family and then it's like hey you're also like a little bit behind and then you also have these quote like LD learning disabilities where it's like you're dyslexic so you can't read correctly you're dysgraphic you can't write correctly you can't transfer your thoughts to the brain like from your brain to the paper like all of those things this is the only thing I have my doctorate in so it's the only thing I know about yeah (laughs) it's like I actually do know this stuff right yeah and that's a good thing because I really don't so like it's terrible I have a picture in my head of like what it was probably like for her but like I really can't I don't know. I don't have like the terminology exactly for it. Yeah. Um, it's like usually dyslexic refers to like the person's ability to read letters and dysgraphic yeah. would be their ability to write letters. Although okay. most books just call it dyslexic really across the board. Yeah. I don't think people really know the difference. I didn't know that. Yeah. No. So I, like it, a, it seems to me that she had both then. Yes. Okay. And a lot of people do have both. Oh, um, I'm only dyslexic. Okay. I, I always write my letters the right way, but I can't read them correctly. Really? Yeah. Um, and there's a there is a distinction because some people can do one but not the other. Isn't Again, that crazy? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that there was such a thing as dysgraphic. It didn't. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. And I I just I like that I'm learning while telling the story because I was like, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't understand in her story. So this is really important. Um. So, yeah, so she's having a really hard time and they were getting she was held behind twice. So then she's in like class with her younger sister. You so know, hard. And it's hard. And she had I mean, they spent loads of money on personal tutors, but she just was having such a hard time. So when she was around 11, they sent her to the Pennsylvania boarding school for the intellectually disabled. But. It was also hard because she's cognizant enough to be like, why are my siblings allowed to go to these schools and socialize and I'm not? And she was like, you know, I want to go to school with my siblings again. Like, I don't want to go to Pennsylvania. I want to stay like in New England. Like, and as she grew older, these differences just started to get more prominent in her head. And this sweet, young, playful Rosemary started to have more and more mood swings which would grow more and more violent. And it was probably caused by just like pure frustration because she saw how her life could be and it wasn't that. And she couldn't quite piece together like why it wasn't. Because again, she's really high functioning. That's terrible. Yeah. The, the thing that's so terrible is like if you're all sitting at like dinner on like Thanksgiving and somebody tells a joke and everybody gets it, but you weren't yeah. there. Yeah. And it's like, well, why wasn't I there? Right. Because you should be. You're part of the family. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, that breaks my heart for her. And it, 
and and again like education for people like Rosemary wasn't where it was at at the time and schools and her parents just were so frustrated they'd be like well Rosemary could learn she just won't (laughs) it's like I think you kind of have that back you know what I'm saying it's like they're like oh she's just not putting in the effort like da 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 so every two years she was sent to a different school she was sent to five schools, I think, in like just a couple of years. Which that's even worse for a kid. Exactly. <laughs> and like they thought that like all oh, this new environment could help change her behavior for the better. But they just didn't understand that like what people like Rosemary needed was routine. Consistency. And consistency. Yeah. It was just the exact opposite of what Rosemary had. Ooh. And she knew that her parents really wanted her to do well in school. She knew that they just had such a pride in everyone else's education. So she would write letters to her father in particular. She just wanted Joe to be proud of her. And she would tell him that she's really trying. And in one letter in 1934, she wrote, I would do anything to make you happy. I would hate to disappoint you in any way. And then trying to kind of connect with him over things that she felt were important to him sports and money she told him that she's really trying to learn how to skate so they can play hockey together she said i even bought a hockey stick it's normally six dollars but i got it for four so again she's cognizant enough to be like i know that like my dad loves playing sports with his kids and and he's values and he's frugal (laughs) like she knows these things about her dad and she's trying to connect with him And he would write back encouraging things. He wrote back to her saying that he was really proud of her for learning how to skate. And he, but he suggested that she take a pillow with her on the ice. So if she fell, she wouldn't get too bruised up. It's like he, I, again, like they did a lot of bad things. Like, but I think that he was trying to do his best in a lot of this. And like, he just, like they just didn't know how sometimes as a parent you function on like I'm just doing what I can do in the moment yeah they were just doing what they could do and it's crazy as like a rich family you don't expect to have to deal with this and this is the thing it's like I think people in this I think everybody in this situation had good intentions but good intentions weren't always enough because they're never enough (laughs) even though her parents loved her so much the one thing that rosemary was battling that she didn't even know she was battling is number one her deep her family's deep-seated catholic beliefs which made them view her as like a punishment for their sins which sucks it's bad enough but that was made worse by their belief in eugenics we have talked about so many times just this idea that like people like rosemary like shouldn't exist and we can make them not exist by like fucking ripping out their reproductive organs and like sterilizing them terrible horrible terrible and in fact after a trip to germany her older brother joe wrote a letter to his father praising hitler's sterilization policy as a quote great thing that will do away with many of the disgusting specimens of men. Well, yeah. Isn't it awesome how there are sometimes really charismatic leaders that make, <laughs> yeah. that make really big impacts, but are then actually super racist and cause genocide. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a thing? Yep. <laughs> My God. Terrible. Terrible. So all this is going on, but in 1938 things start, Looking pretty okay for Rosemary. She was a beautiful young woman who loved parties and fashion. She had friends. Her diaries talk about outings to the opera and high teas. Like, she had one friend in particular that, like, they would just get together and, like, 
she was like, I could be like a regular girl with her. Like it was, she had real friendships and she like could do like normal things that other people. She also found a, again, I'm using normal, but I think the correct term is standard. Typical. Typical, typical. Okay. Um, She also found a really great fit at this Montessori school. The hands-on individualized education style was just right for her. With Dan- We've bumped Montessori I from our list so many times. We have to. We have to do her. So everybody listening, we put Montessori on our Was list. Elizabeth Montessori. Elizabeth think, Montessori yeah. every single season. And, and she then always gets bumped. For somebody else. <laughs> My God, what a tragedy. I know. I know. <laughs> And this was the school where she would finally receive a diploma when she was 20 years old from which she was so proud. She could take it to her dad and be like, look, I did this. I'm so happy for her. I know. And another finishing <laughs> is the number it's one so thing. Hard. I don't care what you finish. I don't, it's a thing. I don't care what you do. You like, can finish middle school for yeah, all I exactly. fucking care. Just finish. I know. Oh. Another exciting thing at this time was her father's new position in the Roosevelt administration as ambassador to Great Britain, which opened up new opportunities for the whole family. But it also meant that Rose, the mom, had a new job. Get the kids in public as often as possible and make them look great. And thankfully, the beginning of this did include Rosemary. Rosemary was present for all this. I mean, she went to the coronation of Pope Pius the Twelve in Who Rome. Cares? I don't even know if it's called a coronation, the Popalcy, <laughs> whatever it's called. Papacy. <laughs> Papacy. <laughs> she even made her debutante debut at Buckingham Palace in front of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Um, should we have a debutante ball for me and you? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Post COVID, <laughs> post COVID, all patrons Anybody invited. <laughs> Even we'll, if you're not a patron, we'll be the ones in white <laughs> with pearls. <laughs> and she looked absolutely gorgeous. But even after practicing for hours and hours before the event, she did trip and stumble in front of the royal family <gasps> while she was curtsying. Oh, that's okay. And I know. I think her family was upset, but when Rosemary wrote about it, she was like, it was amazing. Like, she was not bothered by the fact <laughs> oh, that she tripped. who cares that you tripped, I know. my girl? She had a fantastic time. She got to dance with princes and dignitaries from literally all over the world. And the impression she left on England was that she was indeed the most beautiful Kennedy daughter, just a little more shy and reserved than her sisters. I mean... They didn't know. Did they, they didn't know? know. They oh. didn't know. I mean, the papers were absolutely mesmerized by her. And you know who's the one who fucked up? Rose. Because Rose wore a white dress. And they were like, the mother wore a white dress, which is normally reserved for the debutantes. Like, so Rose was like, oh, my God, I'm the one that fucked up in the tabloids. I mean, look at I mean, I, we have the book in front of us. She is beautiful oh she's stunning and she was on the cover of like every british tabloid as like rosemary kennedy is like the girl the it girl right i now. mean her whole thing is that she didn't have oxygen for two hours <laughs> yeah try to live like that try to live like that <laughs> try to live with your brain I suffering know. from the loss of oxygen oh my gosh but she was like the toast of the town but this wasn't the only positive thing to come out of their journey to england most of the family returned to the U.S., but Rosemary and Joe stayed behind in England. It just seemed to suit her. 
the family had found a companion for her in Dorothy Gibbs, and she started training as a teacher's aide at the Assumption Boarding School Belmont House. It was another like Montessori type of school. She loved being with the nuns there. She had purpose. She had a routine. She felt safe and she was really happy. She was in charge of like taking care of the children. She supervised playtime and meals and she read to them and she was really good at it because when you're reading to children, you she could read things that she was comfortable with. Oh yeah. And it just, it all made her feel really special. And what else made her feel special was that it was just her and her dad in England. She finally, for the first time in her life, spelt, felt like special in her father's eyes. And then it was like, oh, dad can come visit me. And it's nice for him, too, because I'm the only kid here. It's very funny. And it, I think it might also be, I don't know if it's important to the story, but I think it's helpful to say, like, as somebody who's dyslexic, I mm -hmm. absolutely abhor reading in public. Mm -hmm. I can, I public speaking not a problem yeah but I I hate reading in public and like even like I will read to my children but if producer walks in the room I will start to stumble over my really? words because I just am so worried that I don't know what the letters say and my my brain starts to like fuzz it all up and I just like cannot function yeah. with those words so like an adult with any type of, you know, a typical like learning disability, which I know is such a hard thing to say. It's a disability, but mm -hmm. it is a thing. It's still the coding. Yeah. But it's like, it's hard. Like, yeah. it's hard to say it out loud and you just don't want other people to know. So you slowly like shrink inside yourself. And it's like one minute I might be reading War and Peace to my kids. And then I'm like, my God, please leave the room. Right. Because yeah. like, you cannot be here right now. Mm. Which is why I teach middle school <laughs> instead of full-grown adults. <laughs> but the good times were not to last. When the war broke out in 1939, it only took a year before it was just taking a turn for the worse. And all the Kennedys were suddenly back at their house together in Bronxville, New York. They just had to get Rosemary out of there. Like England, it literally just wasn't safe for her. Like it wasn't safe for anybody. It wasn't safe for anything exactly. And with Rosemary being ripped away from her safe haven in England, she unfortunately started to regress. Her routine was disturbed. She missed her friends and the nuns and the children. And I think exhaustion was also a huge element in this regression. She did like going out with her family and being included. But since she was back home, quote, being a Kennedy, she had to be so precise and perfect and remember every single rule when conducting herself in public so as not to embarrass the family that it ended up just being really stressful i mean kate clifford larson tells a story about rosemary like going to like a family friend's house and she was absolutely perfect the whole time but as soon as she left she completely broke down because it is exhausting trying to be absolutely perfect she's <laughs> like, pretending she, yeah exactly oh, so sad. and this also the pressure of this uh, it increased her rate of seizures and outbreak like she would like she was also having dealing with seizures which are i've never had one but like i've seen people have they're them, terrible it's scary 
And her family just didn't know what to do with her because at this point she's an adult. So when she has like a violent fit and like hits people, it hurts and it's getting more difficult to like calm her down and pull her away. And everyone kind of took turns like trying to take care of her, but they were all really busy with their own things and they were young adults. They wanted to be having fun, not babysitting their sister. They tried sending her away a few more times to places in Massachusetts, Philadelphia, and finally a convent in Washington, D.C., but all of these places kept having the same problems, violent fits and running away. Rosemary ran away quite a lot, and people began to worry that she was running off to meet boys. <laughs> they kind of categorized her as being hypersexual. I don't know if this was actually true or if they were just kind of making some misjudgments based on negative stereotypes. I just feel like there's always been this belief for a long time that people with mental, like, you know, intellectual disabilities are like hypersexual deviants, which is just like not true. And this fear is also, again, bolstered by the fact that they were eugenicists and they like the idea of her being hypersexual, like they believed that people like Rosemary were hypersexual. And then it was like this fear of like, well, you have to stop them from reproducing them because all they want to do is have sex and make babies. And then their babies are going to be disabled or like whatever. And it's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> Let's take a couple steps back. Turn it down to a five. Remember you're, that you're these are human 12. beings that you're fucking talking about. Yeah. Terrible. I know. And it, it's just like, there's a lot going on here. So like, there is this kind of misjudgment that she was hypersexual. They also may have been worried that if she ran off, someone would find her and sexually assault her, which I can respect more, but like that's also giving them a lot more credit than I want to because it was all based, unfortunately, in them wanting to maintain their social reputation as good, upstanding Catholics that you should elect to office because Joe Sr. was obviously paving the way for his sons to go into politics. And any kind of scandal like that could derail their political goals. So it's, again, this common trend we see of, like, sacrificing the girl for the boys. Terrible. (sighs) I mean, what... If somebody is like, I'm not caring for my sister who has atypical, like, symptoms, you know, of of being a human, I would murder somebody. I would be like, you don't deserve to be in office, you asshole. If you can't care for that person, how are you supposed to care for a country? Yeah, exactly. We're a whole country of people. You know how many people like Rosemary Kennedy exist, you piece of fuck? I know. It's tragic. Um, this is a little sidebar that I thought was kind of funny. Um, so this is also around the time of the famous kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. (laughs) Oh my God. That's not funny. I know. Well, it's not funny, but Kate Clifford Larson was like, let's like, maybe they were afraid that she would be kidnapped and held for ransom. Cause like, this was like a real fear that like all of a sudden, like wealthy people in America were like, Oh my God. Like someone might kidnap my baby for ransom. Did we also, did we say who Kate Clifford Larson is? Yeah, she's the author. I mean, I know who she oh, is, but okay. I don't know if we said it. I thought I thought I did, but in case I didn't, she wrote I'm the book super drunk. Rosemary, <laughs> the Hidden Kennedy Daughter. Okay. For, you, I because think you, said that. you know right. what? I actually read a book for this episode, which is a saying a lot because I'm going to be honest. We care we, about Rosemary. We, I, that's I, it. That's your honesty. I statement. cared about her so much that I was like, I'm going to read a fucking book for this girl, okay? 
Okay. You read three books for Katniss, so no. fuck you. <laughs> and watched four movies. <laughs> JK, I don't think I ever saw any of the Hunger Games movies, actually. Oh, they're actually really good. I know. I was watching clips, and I was like, wow. Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence is doing a good job. They really killed it. They really <laughs> killed it. <laughs> um, now, you might be asking why they didn't just send her away to a mental asylum. Well, for one... It would have been difficult to keep something like that a secret. And if word got out, it would have proved extremely embarrassing for this socially royal family. The stigma surrounding mental health was just atrocious. And as many people know, for a long time, these places were just absolute nightmares, which I feel like we cannot go through the story without mentioning. Because like Rosemary, thankfully, was not subject to this. But the people who went in there were treated terribly. They were abused. They were often sexually assaulted oh, and got raped the, and like these were such common problems that the Kennedys were fully aware of this and they were like well I don't want that happening to my daughter and it's like okay well like you're powerful can you do something fucking about it then like what the hell like, this is let's just go, gonna let this happen to other families let's go back to Aladdin oh <laughs> Sultan Sultan if you do not want your daughter to have to marry to someone she doesn't want to marry, mm-hmm. change the walls. Change the. I love that he has that realization. Like, He's like, I'm oh! a sultan. I can change the laws. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot. <laughs> I didn't even believe it. I'm a monarch. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> oh my gosh. My bad, guys. <laughs> so terrible. All of this is happening. And. They had been trying some, like, sort of experimental treatments with Rosemary, such as, like, hormone treatments and gland treatments and medication. But at this point, they were just so frustrated. And this was around the time where Joe came across this new kind of treatment called a leucotomy. Which no. we now know as a lobotomy. They cut her brain out? So Katie, stop I it. Stop your story. I'm going to give I'm done. I'm done. a little history on this because I think it's really important and I'm not sure how often we're going to get to really talk about lobotomies on this show. <laughs> so <laughs> never. The, the lobotomy was pioneered by Portuguese neurologist Igas Muniz who believed that the answer to like like patients with obsessive says of behavior it was like he's like oh they're just suffering from like fixed circuits in the brain so he was like what we need to do is fix the frontal lobe i mean just like let's just stick something up there and just sever those connections is it your frontal lobe is like the most important part yeah it's responsible for a hundred percent of your personality (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i know i know this is about to get really fucking dark guys and uh, people thought that this was absolutely brilliant and it spread across the globe, becoming particularly popular in the U.S. and England. Doctors would even perform them in public, saying, it just takes five minutes. It's so easy. It takes five minutes to cut the front of your brain out that's responsible for all of your decision-making mm-hmm. and personality? Mm-hmm. Oh, my At God. At one point during the 1940s, there were approximately 5,000 lobotomies being performed each year. Most of them on young women. Apparently, they constituted between 60 and 82% of the lobotomies being performed. Oh, my God. Wait, how old are you? Me? Yeah. I'm 27. You know your brain's not even fully formed? Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm you an get idiot. Th- you get 30 to yeah. get there. 
Yeah. They're cutting out women's brains. And they constituted for, no reason. for like such a small percentage of the women like incarcerated, like, you know, whatever, like in like, like institutions and asylums. But they constituted for 82 percent of lobotomies being performed. They're like, let's just get those women fucking out of here. It sucks. So they cut their brains out. Yeah. And we're like, oh, now you're fine and let them go. Or kept them. What did they do? Okay. I'm so confused. So neurologists James Watson, Walter Freeman were two of the biggest pioneers here in the U.S. And it is said of Freeman in particular, he performed about 3,000 lobotomies in his time alone. Sometimes, get ready for it, up to 20 in a day. Why? What does he do? What's the point? He saw it as a miracle, like a miracle cure to patients who were problems to their family and nuisances to themselves. I am dying. Viagra is a miracle drug, not lobotomies. And he said, I can turn them into like, quote unquote, productive members of society. And mind you, Dr. Freeman is not a surgeon. He was, in fact, a psychiatrist who thought that surgery was just so simple <laughs> after seeing Watts do it so many times that he felt he didn't need to be trained as a surgeon. It was a simple outpatient procedure. This is the antithesis to the nurse that was told she can't do anything. Exactly. Without but a, a man, doctor there. You can do anything. You can cut someone's brain out. Exactly. Holy shit. I'm. And because this is new and there's just no one regulating this shit, there was literally no one to stop him. And unfortunately, because he has no rules, there's also no no rules about patient consent when it came to these procedures. This is terrible. So many people, such as Rosemary, had this done without their consent. So Rosemary had her head cut open and her frontal lobe taken out. Severed. Severed. So it's still in the brain. They just disconnected the frontal lobe from I the rest of her it. brain. Yes. So, oh my God. and I'd like you to know, um, by 1949, which is about eight years past when Rosemary goes under her surgery, Dr. Moniz and, and four years past World War II. Mm-hmm. Let's put that in perspective. Mm-hmm. He won the Nobel Prize Fuck for this him. procedure, even though people around the world were left either exactly the same, permanently disabled, or dead from this procedure. In fact, 490 of Freeman's patients ended up dead after their procedures. And you're telling me Jocelyn Bell Burnell. I know. <laughs> she is she's not allowed to have her Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize for the pulsers. But uh, yeah, Dr. Ronnie's absolutely. I wish I should I, she should have murdered people. She is what absolutely she should have. Um but this is the thing and I do I do want to say this. What do you want I to say? I don't, th- I like, I don't think that like Joe didn't really have this information. Like he knew that it was kind of fair. risky. That's fair. But Freeman was just trying to get literally fucking anyone to do this because he fucking loved doing lobotomies. So I mean, like if you're a super wealthy family, yeah, you're trying to do anything for your child, yeah. then you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to do the newest and best thing. Yeah. This is not the Kennedy's fault that this happened to her. I, I don't they think tried so. so hard. And the thing is like, like Rose talked about this later, like she didn't know that he was actually going to do it, but like she was like, 
we were just promised that like she would be a regular Kennedy daughter. Oh my God. Which breaks my fucking heart. She was like, a regular Kennedy she daughter. Was, exactly. And you she, kept trying to fix her. Exactly. And like he, they just told him, they're like, no, like this is going to like quote unquote fix her and turn her into exactly the person that you want her to be. Do you be. know what would have fixed this situation, which is really sad. Joe Kennedy should have been in the room when she was giving birth because he would have told that nurse to get her hands off that baby. Catch that baby. Yeah. But Let- unfortunately his penis is probably in somebody else because he was a constant philanderer or he was smoking cigars in the waiting room. Probably either way. I don't know. And philanderer is not the right word to use, but we, I don't know. We don't what use the do right adjectives ever. I'm frustrated. It's this. This is terrible. It's, I know it's this nobody's story, fault. It's I know it's this story fault. is so fucking rough. So, Katie, I'm dying. I know. In November of 1941, 23-year-old Rosemary, she was just 23, she was taken to George Washington University Hospital in D.C. And according to Watson Freeman, this is how it went down. Please skip ahead if you don't want details about this. We went through the top of the head. I think Rosemary was awake. She had a mild tranquilizer. I made a surgical incision in the brain through the skull. It was near the front, and it was on both sides. We just made a small incision, no more than an inch. An inch is pretty fucking big. (laughs) The instrument Dr. Watts used looked like a butter knife. He swung it up and down to cut the brain tissue. We put an instrument inside. As Dr. Watts cut... Dr. Freeman asked Rosemary some questions. For example, he asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America or Count Backwards. We made an estimate on how far to cut based on how she responded. When Rosemary began to become incoherent, they stopped. That's terrible. Katie, it's terrible. And it's like, I know. They cut until she lost herself. They literally cut until she couldn't speak. And I know that, like, brain science, like, they It's still evolving. And they've done this with, like, violinists who it's like, we're going to keep you awake so we can make sure you play the violin. But... They did the exact opposite. They're like, we're going to go until you literally can't speak anymore. This is primitive. This is just like primitive caveman brain surgery. I it's horrible. I can't believe what I know. She couldn't speak after this. What did they do to her? I I don't want to know. The next time Joe saw his beautiful dark haired daughter, she had her curls shaved off. Oh my god! Scars on her head, and she could not walk or talk. Oh my god. Joe didn't tell anyone in the family what he had done for a while. And Rose claimed for years, I don't know if she did know or didn't know, but she said, I heard Joe talking about it, but I was never asked if I was okay with it. And I, I do believe her on that part. I believe well, that she no kind women of, were asked what they thought. I know, I know. And it just... And for some time after the surgery, Joe just lied to the family, saying Rosemary's recovering well from her incident. He even told the youngest daughter, 13-year-old Jean, 
that Rosemary had simply moved to the Midwest to become a teacher. He was just lying about her. And this is when she would truly become the family secret. She would be put away in an institution and Rose would not see her oldest daughter again for 20 years. I am mortified. She was completely incapacitated and she would need constant help, even with the most basic tasks for the rest of her life. She would eventually learn to walk again after extensive physical therapy, but it was not easy. And she had a really bad limp because one of her legs was permanently turned inwards and one of her arms never regained motion. It was just a really rough time for the family, but especially for Rosemary's sister, Eunice. Eunice had always been Rosemary's champion, the one who helped her the most, calmed her down the best, and accepted her for who she was. And directly after the surgery, no one was being honest with her. All she knew was that her beloved sister was gone, out of the house, not mentioned in the family newsletters anymore, and... She didn't even know where exactly she was for 10 years. No one was telling anyone anything in this family. Eunice became extremely depressed. She was sick and she was distant. Her friends at school describe just walking into her room one day and all of her stuff was packed up. She left. She dropped out of school because she was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. My sister's gone. I don't know what to do. Rosemary was eventually moved to Craig House, an institute in upstate New York, while the where the wealthy elite would put away their loved ones. Uh, Zelda Fitzgerald is a famous, you know, person who went there. <laughs> And in 1949, she was relocated to Jefferson, Wisconsin, where she lived for the rest of her life on the grounds of St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children, formerly known as the St. Coletta Institute for Backward Youth. And if we stop the story here, it would remain an absolute tragedy. But thankfully, her siblings stepped up. While Jack, a.k.a. JFK, was campaigning for a second term as senator in 1958, he made a secret trip to Jefferson, Wisconsin to visit his sister for the first time since her lobotomy. Her lobotomy was in 1941. That's bullshit. He had no idea what kind of state she was in, and it shocked him. He then dedicated himself to supporting legislation to assist people with intellectual disabilities. While he was a senator, he helped pass legislation which directed additional funding to research and education for mentally disabled children, which became the foundation for Title III, a federal program supporting certain specialized education programs. And when he was president in 1963, he signed two more bills into law helping children and adults with intellectual disabilities, saying... The mentally ill and the mentally retarded need no longer be alien to our affections or beyond the help of our communities. But the real hero behind all of this is Eunice Kennedy Shriver. In 1958, she went to her father and she said, I think that we should use more resources from the Kennedy Foundation to help those with intellectual disabilities. By, in 1957, they'd only dedicated about 17% of their resources to these types of causes. And by 1960, Eunice had tripled that number. 
She helped JFK establish the Committee on Mental Retardation and the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. She helped organize a screening of the documentary The Dark Corner in the White House. This movie exposed the horrors of how people with disabilities were being treated in institutions, which helped encourage other lawmakers to get on board with helping these people. But she didn't want to just be making laws and high-level changes. She wanted to help these families on a personal level. One day, she is on the phone with a mother, and the mother is like, I have an intellectually disabled child. And she's like, and there's no camp or anything like that for my kid. And Eunice said, well, you know what? There is now. These kids can come to my house. She had seen in her youth how important it was for Rosemary's health to be outside playing and engaging in physical activities with other kids. And she thought, well, all kids should have the opportunity to do that. And in 1962, she opened up the doors of her home in Bethesda, Maryland, and she created Camp Schreiber. The camp consisted of 100 volunteers and 100 kids. And they spent their days playing and swimming and just becoming a part of the Shriver family. And once she saw how much it helped these kids, she used the Kennedy Foundation to open up more camps like it across the U.S. And this was also the year that Eunice decided that Rosemary did not deserve to be hidden away anymore. And she published an article in the Saturday Evening Post called Hope for retarded children. She did not address the lobotomy, but she told the world, yes, the president of the United States has a sister with an intellectual disability. And it was really hard on our family. But the answer is not to ignore them and pretend that they don't exist or publish obituaries for them, which families did. If they had a child with a disability, they would just be like, oh, they died. Here's the obituary. It's in the paper. You can't say that it's not true. She said the answer is to respect them as human beings and give them the dignity that they deserve. And this article made a huge difference because I think people constantly underestimate how important it is for other people to step up and say, I'm in this too. And of course, Eunice's efforts did not stop at summer camps. Seeing the joy that athletics and competition brought these kids and adults, Eunice created the Special Olympics. And in 1968, the first games were held at Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois. And that first year, they had 1,000 athletes and less than 100 spectators. But now they host more than 4 million athletes in 200 nations around the world. And of course, just millions of spectators. After 20 years, Rose did finally go see her daughter. But it was clear that Rosemary remembered what her mother had done. And she became very upset and agitated when, he, when she saw her. After this, Rose tried to keep her distance. She sent her gifts. She had the school she was at build a pool so that Rosemary could swim every day because she loved swimming. But in the late 70s, she started to visit more often, and the relationship mended at least a little bit. With new research and improving care and treatment, over the years, Rosemary regained her speech at least a little bit, and she was able to make more trips home. She spent the remainder of her life at St. Coletta, but she visited often with family, especially Eunice and her children. Timothy and Anthony Shriver 
took the torch from their mother, and they continued the Special Olympics and also founded Best Buddies, an organization aimed at helping folks with intellectual disabilities. They visited with Aunt Rosemary often, and Anthony even had a special room built in his house so Rosemary could visit comfortably and get to know his children as well. On January 7th, 2005, Rosemary Kennedy died of natural causes at the age of 86. She was buried in Hollywood Cemetery in Brookline, Massachusetts, next to her parents, with her remaining siblings in attendance. Her life was not an easy one, but it certainly inspired change and hope for millions of people And I think Eunice said it best in a speech she made in 2007, two years after her sister died. She said more than any one single individual, Rosemary made the difference. (laughs) And that's her story. I've cried maybe four (laughs) times on this podcast. I'm bawling. I know. I just... It is. I mean, so my kids are doing um, the polar bear plunge this Saturday, two days from now for us. It'll be in the past for everybody listening. But um, we we have a nonverbal cousin who's born with autism. And it's like a big part of our family to like do that. And it is just she did not deserve this. And. Rosemary Kennedy was on the early end of experimentation of people who were mentally atypical. And it's so unfair because she was such an active and lively person. I know. (laughs) Who people decided weren't up to par and are like, well, let's just cut her brain apart and see what happens. And it's not okay. No, it's not. And, and, and it sucks too because like they're really like they're like Joe and Rose like really fucked up in a lot of senses. They were eugenicists, which is like super fucked up. But like there is a point where like they thought that they were doing the best for their kid. And like I think at the beginning they were like they were like, We're not gonna put her in one of those places that is like so fucking horrible. And like I don't know, it just but they were misled and it's like it just it sucks because like people thought they were on the cutting edge of science and like fucking Walter Freeman is a monster he (laughs) fucking knew that this was not an okay procedure and he just wanted it to be so bad to like fuel his own fucking male ego or whatever that like he was willing to just ruin people's lives because like the one thing I wanted to do in this episode was also like paint her life as like more than because she did so much and she enjoyed so much and she like had friends and had a diary and like I feel like people were like yeah she like was slow and then she had a lobotomy and that's like all people know of her and it's like she had so much more than her life she I don't know and then and the good thing and like and the good thing is like it shouldn't come to this but like Eunice took Rosemary's life and her experiences with her and made it into something incredible that people still benefit from today. And like, (sighs) I mean, (laughs) I think it's a, 
I think it's an amazing story and it's a necessary story. It is a necessary story. And that's why I actually like took, I lit, I like went and I bought the hard copy of this book about her because I was like, I can't just like Wikipedia the shit because Wikipedia will not suffice in a story like Rosemary Kennedy's. Um, so yeah. Uh, I'm like still sneezing. <laughs> I'm dying here. Yes. Okay. I just, I think you're absolutely right. I think her story is so much more from like an A to Z. It's like a, you need to understand that like from Y to Z is where we fucked up on her. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like A to what's before Y, X. <laughs> yeah. X? A to X it was fine. And then we fucked up. Yep. As a society, not as the Kennedys, as, yeah, a as a society in saying that these people are wrong. Yep. All right. Want to compare these ladies? <laughs> yes. In a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I mean, both of them were born into power-hungry families. I think that is clearly just obvious. Yeah. And I don't always think a, a power-hungry family is bad. No. I think that both of these families showed their true, beautiful colors early, saying, I love you. I don't want this to happen to you. I want to do the best for you. But yeah. what happens when you're a power-hungry family is that so many people in the world expect so much of you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that was so clear. Like you said, Julia wasn't comfortable in her strict environment. And I think that Rosemary felt the same exact thing. Just this immense pressure in upholding the family name because they're not individuals. They are Kennedys. They are Caesars. They are a part of this greater mechanism that they didn't ask to be a part of, but they were. No, and they were both attempted to be treated normal. Yeah. And in the case of Julia, it was, we're going to treat you normal like you're a boy heir. Mm -hmm. And in the case of... Um, Rosemary. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and in the case of Rosemary, it was like, we're going to treat you as if you're a wealthy equestrian northeastern woman in the U.S. Right. It's like, you're just a little shy and you're just kind of a boy. It's right. like they were both, you, you use this term, used as a pawn. And I think that so encapsulates both of these women so much. And like, Julia is used as a political pawn. It's like, okay, well, what can we do with you? We can marry you off to more wealthy people and then you can have sons and I can adopt those sons. And it's like, women are seen as merely a piece of the puzzle. And like, Rosemary, her life was them always trying to fit her into the Kennedy puzzle. It's like, and to their point, like, I mean, they did try to like fit her in. And then they were like, okay, here's the final solution, which is like, I'm using that term very specifically because yeah. obviously <laughs> there like, were some Nazi sympathies there. Terrible. I know. <laughs> but like, they were like, this is it because I feel like people who think that way think that there are just these easy solutions. And like Joe was like, okay, there it is. There's, the fix. I'll but get her know? this surgery and then she'll and then she will be an addition to the pawns I already have in my children who he was all oh, the Kennedy children were like that. They were being moved around like fucking chess pieces. 
The worst thing I think about this is that both of them were saying, I did what I could for my daughter. Yeah. And I think As both like, of I them. I am a hero. Right. And I think both of them would have acted different with this if it was a son and yeah. maybe even worse. Yeah. Like in Julia's case, I think it it wouldn't have mattered. Her like sexual escapades wouldn't have mattered. She would have been the heir. There mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a question. It would have been fine. But in Rosemary's case, I think if she was male, her life would have been even harder. Oh, yeah, I think so. Because I think there would have been so much more shame and embarrassment. And I think that's a crazy thing about being a man that has any sort of mental health issue. I know that like my youngest brother really struggles with anxiety Mm -hmm. and is just... I mean, just this past Sunday had like a breakdown. So like it is, it can be terrible because people don't understand it when they see it on a boy. Mm -hmm. And with, when it's a girl, they are like, oh, let me try to fix you. My baby, my little sweet baby. Well, it's also like, that's typical of your kind of being yes. a woman. And it's like, it's, it's the craziness of the patriarchy. It's weird that it's typical to be atypical if you're a woman, because like <laughs> women are just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I feel like there is just this really interesting thing about like female sexuality in both of these cases, because like Julia was a sexual person and she's like, my dad did it. Why can't I? And then you have Rosemary who like, we don't really know what her personal sexual life was like, but like, we know that she was ascribed a hypersexuality because of her mental state. And it was kind of like, is that true? Was she, you know, being fucking typecast? Is that like, was she like, what was going on there? You know? And it's like, but for some reason we don't care what men do sexually, but Wherever women are in any sort of spectrum, all we are focused on is, is she having sex? How frequent is it? Who is she having sex with? And it's like, can we talk about something fucking else? Because these women have more to offer than their sex life and no one is acknowledging it at all. It's it's terrible, too, because it's like the whole thing is about where they feel safe. Yeah. Right? Like... When you talked about Rosemary, you said this is where she felt safe, Mm -hmm. right? She's in London. She felt safe here. She felt safe with these people. And the same was true of Julia. It's like, these are the people I'm with. This is who I feel safe around. This is who. And I mean, to be fair, both of them had family members who were like either being killed or or were killing other people. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like. They're around turmoil. So feeling safe is, is so important. It is. And yeah. neither of them felt safe within their families and were trying to make decisions to be safe. Yeah. And it's like they were both judged for this thing that was not, it wasn't under their control. Yeah. It, it's terrible. I Both of their stories, it's like their lives ended as a result of their terrible families. Yeah. And each individual person in the family wasn't terrible, but each person inside of the system created a terrible thing for that person right because like i mean you used this sentence a disease of my flesh and i just felt like that combined with like combined with like an embarrassment to the family just kind of resulted in this like okay we need to fix the problem that is my daughter 
And I feel like that has been a historical thing. Fix the problem that is my daughter. And for Julia, that meant banishment. And for Rosemary, that meant lobotomy. And I think there is a really powerful connection between like, I'm going to put you on an island where you cannot get any access to books or like or like whatever like books weren't a thing back then but like you know like Wine, you said like men, there's like anybody nothing to stimulate you and i feel like that was the lobotomy for rosemary it's like you're cutting off my personality like i feel like they did that to julia they're like we're gonna cut off your personality like everything you love and everything you want in life we are going to remove it from you because you are a disease and an embarrassment to the family because you're a woman who stepped out of line because that's the ultimate problem here. Because if any of this was, you know what I'm saying? Like both of them are saying you derailed my leadership. That's exactly it. Like you are a problem to where the family name is going. The family name. And you know what? The fucked up thing is we still know who Caesar Augustus is. We still know who the Kennedys are. Like, and we don't know Julia or Rosemary. So you know what? They were fucking successful. They were right. The they were right. At the expense of these women. Yeah. It, it's <sighs> it's heartbreaking. I don't think we could have said it any better. <gasps> I don't think so either. I Banish think- me. Give me a lobotomy. <laughs> like, what the fuck? What do you want like, me to do? I'm done. I'm out. <sighs> what do you want me to do? It's terrible. I mean, I don't think there's anything else we can say. I, I know so it's either. funny, but I no, think you but... said absolutely everything that needs to happen. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think that's it. I think that in the end, they were both banished in a way. And it makes me so sad that, yeah, Julia was banished from the things in her life that she enjoyed. And Rosemary was banished from her life in itself. Like, just makes me sad it's a so, it's a real terrible I'm sorry situation. to end this on such a bad note but i think that we can find some hope in our toasts so ali who would you like to toast this evening so i just i think julia was a fascinating wild card yeah. and i just want to toast to the wild cards i think that she existed in an era where the culture of women was to be quiet and steadfast and even tempered. And her personality was unique. It wasn't good or bad. It wasn't kind or evil. Mm -hmm. She just was an individual in the ancient world. And I love that we can read that of her. I love that she was kind and empathetic and intellectual and sexual and quick witted and all the same, she was a wild partier and an mm. adulterer and possibly even guilty of a coup against her father. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that it's just so great to we read women in history on more than one level. And mm. she was so wild. And I love that we're confused about her yeah. <laughs> and that we're still talking about her because people are like, wait what did she do let me check that again who did she sleep with i think it's nice and we should do it more cheers cheers to the Mm. wild to the wild girls wild Mm. cards 
<laughs> All right. Who are you toasting? I'm going to toast to Rosemary and all the other people who have simply been viewed as something to be dealt with. Ugh. You are so much more than that. And I hope that you are getting the care that you need and deserve and everything. And I don't know. I just, you're not to be dealt with. You are to be loved. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right. To those well, who be loved. I feel like this is the exact reason we do this. I feel like we need something to pick this up a little bit. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Well, mine might, might not pick it up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I think everybody needs to get in on the newest Justin Bieber album. <gasps> oh my gosh. Allie, mine's a musical one too. No, yes. Okay. <laughs> Have you listened to the new Justin Bieber no, album? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm behind so, on him. Like it came out and like the newest ones are like holy and anyone and alone. And like all of them have like this one name title. Yeah. And Katie, they are just diary entries and they are so good i mean to the point where one day we're in the car and producer was like these these new justin bieber songs they're good wait i'm sorry justin bieber yeah oh i thought you said justin timberlake no justin bieber my baby other justin yeah Uh, the other one baby justin baby baby boy (laughs) he was like producers like these justin bieber songs they're like they're good right He's asking me, like, am I supposed yeah. to like, because he likes some. And I was like, yeah, they're really fucking great. Because I feel like it's, like, become a crime to like Justin Bieber. Right. So so it's nice that I feel like I have permission to. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to send you three songs later. Okay. But in the song Lonely, oh, my God. I just want to read, like, one section of this song because okay. it broke me. He says, quote, Justin Bieber. (laughs) In the second verse, it just kills me. He says, everyone knows my past now. Like my house was always made of glass. And maybe that's the price you pay for the money and fame at an early age. And everybody saw me sick and it felt like no one gave a shit. They criticized the things I did at a an idiot kid. Oh my god! And I'm so lonely. Oh. Are the words, Katie, Allie? I broke my heart. It's so insane because I'm. <laughs> my pop plug is a Harry Styles, and my favorite song off of his album is called "To Be So Lonely." It breaks me, Katie. It makes me so sad. Like because I do like. Okay, as much as like yeah. It's easy to hate Justin Bieber. Like, it sucks. He was literally pulled off of YouTube and put into a fucking just, you're right, glass house. Jake and I were watching it and the video for this song, because we've liked all of his songs off this album so far. We're to the third one that's become a single. Yeah. And um, we just loved it. And in this one, in the first verse of the song on the official video, he's like in his like dressing room, like playing with a hockey stick and like hanging out. Cause he's just like this kid from Canada and somebody comes in and they're like time, like tapping their watch. And he's just like, fuck. And he has to leave and go perform for this like entire audience. And also producer and I met his father-in-law. So what? Like, it's great. No, you didn't. Mr. Steinfeld. 
Isn't that her name? Haley Steinfeld? No, she's a Baldwin. A Baldwin, my B. Wait, you met a Baldwin? Yeah, we Is met... she part of the Baldwin? Yeah. <gasps> Haley Baldwin Bieber. Wait, which Baldwin did you meet? Steven. Steven? <laughs> what? That's like a pretty famous one. Yeah, we met Steven Baldwin. We had Where? like a whole thing with In him. In Vegas? No, no. No. That's where I would just think he would be. At like a religious conference. (gasps) Because he's like the really Jesus one. Oh, I know. He's been many a Christian film. Yeah. So we were at like the acquire the fire of Ocean City. (laughs) Oh, where my cousin Emily passed out. Oh, I wasn't at that one, but I would love to be there. <laughs> no, we were at, we were just at like a, a religious thing in Ocean City back when we were forced to do that. And then <laughs> because we weren't allowed to have sex, there you, you go. You know, it was weird. So we just went to conferences. <laughs> so we went to this and we met Stephen Baldwin, whose daughter is Haley Baldwin. Who's I didn't now know that that was her dad. That's fucking bananas married to justin bieber but also think like he went through that like religious thing where he quit having sex and they stopped having sex till they got married him and Haley. like oh yeah i remember that it's this whole thing where like because he's in a whole thing now where like his pastor is like a fucking dick bag and like they're like having to deal with that right but it was like his friend pre-marriage like i don't know but him and Haley. Good. They're good to go. They're married. They're super happy. Good for them. I'm so excited. But it was just like, I've listened to this album and I'm just like, oh my God, Justin Bieber, I'm so fucking sorry. Like (sighs) I treated you like shit, full on shit. And you're a talented young man. There we go. So go ahead and support Harry Styles, the other talented Um, young man you're supporting on this feminist I'm going to recommend Harry Styles (laughs) because let me tell you, I... I just, I saw his, it's going to be, this is so dumb, but I saw his tiny desk concert from NPR and it was so good. He is just so like natural and wonderful. And I, I just love him. I love him. I love all of his songs. And like, that's pretty much it. Like, I love that he was found on like the fucking Britain's Got Talent and then he like was made into a boy band with the other boys from Britain's <laughs> Got Talent. Boys? And, like Exactly. <laughs> and like and he I think he's just lovely. I think he's just wonderful. So I'm gonna promote Harry Styles and all of his music, not even one just album. But yeah, to be so lonely is one of my favorite songs of his. Here we like, are promoting lonely here we boys. Are, go find the boys. Okay. Like I love it. Tell me it. Tell me it. In the tiny desk concert, he's like, everybody loves to sing this part of the song, and it kind of bums me out because he's like, the part of the song is like, I'm just an arrogant son of a bitch who can't admit when he's sorry. Oh, which is every boy, in my opinion. Um, So yeah, he's so sorry, 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 sorry. So Um, so as our pop luck, go listen to the boys, but also listen to us. Yeah, what are we doing? You can find us everywhere. All the places. Um, you can find personal stories and pictures of us on Patreon, which is the best way to get to know us as people if you are interested. I in recently that. put up a picture of us as Robin and Wonder Woman <laughs> <laughs> from 2012. So if you want to get in on that, um, <laughs> go find it. There's also pictures of us as Dorothy Gale and Tinkerbell <laughs> from a church event. Where the fuck is that? <laughs> you don't have it? I've seen it. Send it to me. I'll put it on Patreon. Okay. So only Patreon. I thought you posted it. No, I haven't yet. Okay. We look, I mean, you look good. I look terrible. My dress was made out of a, a, 
tablecloth. Mine was a dress from fucking Forever 21 that I was like, this is the best dress I'll ever buy. And I neither of us had mothers who knew what they were doing. I had (laughs) literally light up heels from Walmart. Stop it. I love it. I know. I love it. And gossamer wings that I had gotten from (laughs) a rummage sale at St. Ursula's Catholic school. No one likes us. No, not a soul. Okay, not a so soul. just follow us on all the things. Join us on Patreon if you want to hear more about the St. Ursula's Rummage Sale, where I got gossamer wings and a Cleopatra dress. Dying. Um, and never forget that well-behaved women rarely make pizza in their garage. And they rarely make history. <laughs> I would love pizza in my garage. Let me tell you. That's where your family makes it. full of garbage. <laughs> That's true, actually. Our family makes pizza in a literal well, pizza we make it garage. Next to the garage. No, it's it is. Next to the garage. There is a partisan wall. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right. Goodbye. Uh, Patreon. Patreon. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye